As we turn our scripture this morning, we are in the Gospel of Mark, second chapter, verses 1 through 12. We will be in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. As you're turning and finding it, um, as we read, uh, some of you will find great familiarity with this scripture. Um, the, it's the four friends that bring a, para, a paralytic to Jesus. Um, and there's a lot to talk about in this, and, and we don't talk about a lot of it um, in the sermon today. So a couple side notes uh, to be aware of. The house they go to, um, it's Peter's mother-in-law's house. So if you can imagine having a friend over at your house that causes other people to break in through the roof, uh, it, it, it would be quite a, a tender box of an experience then with so many people crowded and at the door. It, and uh, one of the things to note is that the, the paralyzed man who has his sins forgiven, it the scriptures tell us that it was because of the faith of his friends. So it wasn't even his own faith. It was the faith of his friends that he was healed and forgiven. And then also those four friends that had all of that faith, they did not receive the same forgiveness. So, so there's some interesting dynamics and things playing on here in this story that as we read, um, you'll catch on to. So let us now hear from the word of God. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, Whenever we never saw anything like this. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us go to him in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So one of the things we see and we begin learning in this scripture and in time with Jesus is about our greatest need in life. 
Now, depending on where you are in life, what circumstances you're going through, what's going on, your greatest need may fluctuate. One day, your greatest need may be health concerns. That, that there's something going on with your health that it's of your greatest concern, and that is your greatest need. It's, it seems to be all you can focus on. It's where all your energy goes. At other times, it could be that there is a, a money issue, that your greatest need is, is for more money because there's rent, there's bills, there's other things due, that, that money is needed to provide for those. And, and so that greatest need consumes us. It Modern psychology in the middle of the 20th century, Maslow developed the hierarchy of needs. And, and it's this great little pyramid. It's taught in psychology schools today. In, in fact, most of you may know of it. it. It begins with the base of basic needs, of physiological needs, of food, shelter, and clothing. And then above that, as you build up to the top, the next one is safety and security. And, and so the theory behind his pyramid, behind his hierarchy of needs is, is that we're not concerned with anything above where we're at until we have everything on that level. And so until we have uh, the physiological needs, we're not worried about safety and security. And then once we can worry about safety and security and have that, then we move on to psychological needs of belonging and being loved. And then, and then once we feel like we belong and we're loved, we move on to esteem and success and, and how we rate those in, in going up. And then at the top of the pyramid is this um, self-fulfillment, the self-actualization in which then um, uh, Maslow even argues that uh, we can then begin to think about spirituality. This is the, the, the modern psychology, the humanist understanding of needs for each other. Now, the paralytic and his friends... And the curious crowd that's there perceive his greatest need to be one of basic health. His, his living condition was untenable. So his, his basic need was to no longer be paralyzed, to no longer be struck by that health condition. But what does Jesus do when he's presented with a paralytic that is lowered through the roof? He forgives his sins. Why? Why is it that Jesus forgives his sins? Everyone could see that this man was paralyzed. What good was forgiveness for his life? And the Pharisees and the scribes that were gathered amongst that curious crowd, you know, they, they were curious. They didn't come there in faith and repentance. They were curious. They heard about this Jesus. They knew he did miracles such as this, causing paralyzed people to then walk and lepers to be healed. And so they were curious, investigative of sorts. They wondered, too, why Jesus forgave his sins. Why did he say that? They think in their heart. He's blaspheming God. Only God can forgive sins. This, this is all running through the scribes and the Pharisees that we're told of. And Jesus knows their hearts and, and he speaks to it. That's how we know that, that they have this in their hearts because Jesus knows their hearts and begins speaking to it. But Jesus also knows the truth of the man who is paralyzed. 
And he knows the truth of everyone who's gathered in that house, in that doorway, around the streets, and across the world. That our greatest need, the foundation of everything, is a spiritual need. It's forgiveness. We can meet all of the other needs found on Maslow's hierarchy of needs and still have an unfulfilling life that leaves us empty and dead. But at the very core, the very foundation, is our need for forgiveness of sins. For Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And now this man is paralyzed. And it was understood by their faith in that time. His paralysis was a direct result of his sin and trespasses in his life. And when we come to that clear understanding and we come to the understanding of what our greatest need is, we can see that Jesus could heal the man physically. And leave him dead to rights at the same time. For it's our sins, it's our trespasses that lead us into death. And God, God, he's, he's both holy and, and he's loving. We can sing of his goodness and his faithfulness all the days of our lives, but it's in our sins that we turned our back on God, that we broke the covenant, that we chose our way. You know, we, when we look back through Scripture and we look back at the Old Testament, we can see that the people of Israel as a community and as individuals, how each disobedience led to destruction personally and communally time and time again. And that our greatest need is forgiveness of sins. Only that brings us back to life. Only forgiveness can bring reconciliation of the relationship between us and God. And then from reconciliation brings restoration. For that day that we are glorified with God in heaven is the day of great restoration of when we get to enter the heavenly garden as we were intended and designed to be. With our perfect, holy, and loving God forevermore. See, our greatest need isn't found on Maslow's hierarchy. Our greatest need is found in our hearts. As we see, Jesus knows this. Jesus knows the heart of the paralyzed man, the heart of the scribes, the Pharisees, the curious crowd, and all of us gathered here today. And he asks, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to tell the man to get up and walk? 
Jesus knows the easier one was to tell the man to get up and walk. That he could heal the man physically, but it would only be temporary, as is our life here on earth. But this man needed more. This man needed his spiritual condition healed. All else didn't matter if that doesn't occur. Paul writes later in that letter to Ephesians, in the second chapter, verses 4 and 5, he writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace. Because God is rich in mercy. He's holy and loving at the same time. The paralytic who was lowered into the house did nothing of great speciality to deserve forgiveness of sins, but because God is rich in mercy, because he loves us. By grace, you have been saved. You see, we need forgiveness. And God gifts it to us through Jesus Christ because of his completed work on the cross. Not only do we need forgiveness, but we also know the source of it for our lives. And we receive it going to Christ in faith and repentance. It's found in this new covenant that he pours out in his blood. And we glorify God just as the curious crowd when they said, we've never seen anything like this. And they glorified God. But we're here today because we know we need forgiveness. Some of us have experienced that deep forgiveness reality in our lives. And others of us have heard about it. We know it's what Jesus offers. And yet we struggle with the forgiveness. We struggle to be forgiven. We know it's what Jesus did. We know it's grace and mercy that he offers to us. We know that all of our lives he has been faithful as we sung. We know of his goodness. We don't allow the forgiveness to run over our hearts. You know, part of this new covenant of grace that Jesus offers, um, we hear in Hebrews 8, chapter 12, he says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the part we struggle with. We know Jesus forgives us. We know the forgiveness is there for what we've done. We know when we come with a true and faithful heart of repentance to the Lord, we are forgiven. But we don't let go of the sack of the stones of sins we carry. We continue to let it weigh us down without remembering that God remembers them no more. 
Jesus' blood washes us clean. That when we are restored to him, there is no chart and list of wrongs that he has forgiven. He says he remembers them no more. It's forgiven. And for us to flourish in life, for us to get up, to take our bed, and to walk requires us to remember of God's faithful goodness, grace. See, we can sing of his faithfulness and his goodness. And it's good that we do that. It's good we sing these songs because we need to remember that we are forgiven. And he doesn't remember anymore. He doesn't hold us. He doesn't hold it against us. That's our greatest need. Forgiveness. And Jesus gives it all to us. Washes us clean and remembers no more. You are forgiven because you are deeply loved by God. Amen.